Hey, I want you to know this morning, wherever you find yourself, or if you're watching this later in the day, because I found that some of you are sleeping in and catching up later in the day, but if wherever you are, whenever you watch this, just know this, that you are loved and you are missed. And so I look forward to the day in which we gather together again in this space, and I long to see people again. And I'm sure you're like that in the same way. So know that you're being prayed for. I know many of you have reached out to tell me you're praying for me, and I appreciate it. Our church staff is praying for you, and we miss you, and we look forward to the day in which we gather together. Just this last week, my son, as I was leaving to come to the church, he goes, you're going again without us? And I said, yeah. And so I, I told him the same thing I'm telling you. In the not-too-distant future, we will be together again, and it will be a good day. So as I was thinking about my kids, I kept thinking about how my daughter, um, <laughs> just a couple years ago, we would be talking about something, and she'd say, well, I know. Like, you knew about the weather that was going to be like this on that day? Well, I know. Of course I knew. Oh, okay. You knew what we bought at the store and how much it cost? Yeah, I know. Oh, really? You know all this stuff now? Now, the truth is, she's pretty smart. Occasionally, she'd like catch us off guard. I'd be like, oh, well, what's four times four? She goes, well, I know that. Well, what is it? 16. Okay. Yep. She can do math. Uh, now, the truth is, today, she probably does know all these things, but in that day, what was true is she lacked the knowledge to acknowledge what she didn't know. And so that becomes an issue for us. How do I learn to know, or how do I recognize what I don't know? Or maybe you live in the other space. You're not the person that says, I know, all the time. You're like many people I've given lessons to over the years, whether it was through tennis or basketball, it doesn't really matter. We'd work, be working on some new skill that they'd never had before, and I would try to teach them to do it. They would try, and they would fail, and then they would say these dreaded words that every coach or teacher or parent hates to hear. I can't do that. What do you can't do that? I can't do that. No, no, no. You can do that. You just haven't learned the skill yet. You're capable of that. And so that became one of those like pet peeves for all of us, that it's not that we can't do something. It's that we've never done it before, or we've never learned to do it well. And so today, this spiritual practice we're talking about, this practice of study, I know some of you just threw up in your mouth because I told you you need to study. It's true. You do. But here's the reality for us. Sometimes entering into these practices, these spiritual disciplines, the goal is to throw out some of the old ways of living that we've lived in and kind of reorient, rethink, redo how we actually live. They change us. So I love this quote from Richard Foster. He says it this way, the purpose of the spiritual disciplines is the total transformation of the person. The purpose of the spiritual disciplines is the total transformation of the person. In other words, the more we engage in these practices, these activities, we find our best life. We find we get to live into the fullness of who God created us to be. What we begin to find is even throughout the scriptures, we, we see glimpses that there's this invitation to know more. That, that the goal is not just to amass information, but it's to have actual knowledge. That's why I love these words from John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Here's what Jesus says. It says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Like, I don't know about you, but I love the idea of knowing truth that sets me free. Free from whatever it is that hinders us, free from those kinds of things. I would even say it this way, if you caught that first line, I said this, if you hold to my teaching, in other words, when you hold to the teaching of Jesus, things change. Now, the truth is, 
I don't know if you knew this or not, but many people call themselves Christians. By definition, a Christian is a follower of Christ. With me there? The Christ is Jesus. So in other words, if I call myself a Christian, I call myself a follower of Jesus. Now, one of the crazy things is, I can't tell you the number of times I have heard people say it this way. Um, They'll say Jesus said something, and I promise you, if you go read the Gospels, Jesus never said it. I hear it all the time. I would even go so far to say, one of the worst things is sometimes they'll say, well, you know, you know what Jesus said about this, and it's not in the scriptures at all, and you'll be looking going, ah, I can't find it. I can't, I can't find that there. Or, which I actually think is worse at some level, they'll quote some passage from the Old Testament that Jesus actually addresses, and he'll say something like this, you've heard it said, in other words, you've understood it this way, but I say to you, and he changes, he reorients how we understand the whole Old Testament. In fact, I would add to that, what we begin to find is this, Jesus changes the way we understand and see the world. Paul had his whole mind changed, transformed. He saw differently because of Jesus. His mind was changed. It's why these words from Romans chapter 12 are so powerful for us. Here's what Paul says. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind to be transformed, to begin to see differently than we ever saw before. This is what Paul wants us to know. This is powerful for us because all of a sudden we find that we are living into a new way of life that we never knew was possible. In other words, our minds can actually be changed. And that's what study does for us. Study helps us begin to see the world in a way in which we've never understood it. Study becomes for us this way in which we have our mind opened and it's changed. And, and many of us are like, oh, I don't really like change, but, but most of us like change when it benefits us. And study truly begins to benefit all of life. We begin to see differently. And so here's how we will define study in this way. Study is a specific kind of experience in which the mind is able to be transformed. In other words, there's some practice or study. And so I, I love Richard Foster gives us really four ways in which we study. And so here are these four ways. It involves four steps. One, repetition. We repeat things, right? Here's what that looks like. And, and um, maybe you've heard it this way. Someone will repeat something over and over again. And, or maybe you're like me and you were on a car drive with your kids. And I, I've heard the soundtrack for, you know, How to Train Your Dragon or Beauty and the Beast. I've heard it so many times in the car that I probably could sing the songs and I've never tried to listen to the soundtrack. I just probably know it from it being said around me. Or maybe you think of it this way. Like you've heard someone say, well, just repeat like, I'm good, I'm good. And you're like, well, you know, I don't really feel good. But yet even we know that that there's something that psychologically that happens that when I repeat something again and again, it can even lead to change. And so maybe as we study, we begin to repeat some really valuable things like this. I'm a beloved child of God. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And I repeat those things, all of a sudden, over time, I begin to believe they're true. The second thing we do is study involves four steps. One is repeating stuff over and over again. The second part is concentration, right? I don't know about you, but often I am all over the place. Ask our church staff sometime. Ask my wife. My kids aren't yet old enough to tease me about that. But there's a reason why I usually work in multiple spaces because I get distracted so easily, I can't stay in the same space for a long period of time. 
In fact, like many people, we'll try to like read a book and watch TV. I can't do those two things um, unless I'm literally ignoring one because I can't focus on one or the other. But for many of us, study is hard because we don't concentrate long enough in one area of life. And so one of the steps to study is concentration. Maybe it requires silence or a different location or those kind of things. The third part of study is this, comprehension. In other words, what's the truth I'm trying to learn? What's the truth I want to learn here? What is the truth that this study is opening to me? Um, We're going to talk predominantly about study of Scripture in just a moment, but study, how do I begin to comprehend this? And then the fourth stage is reflection. In other words, now that I've comprehended the truth, how do I take that reflection and how do I begin to see the world as God sees the world? It's the whole idea of having eyes to see and ears to hear. And the truth is, if we don't study, we miss the depth that God invites us to. The more we don't study, the more we find ourselves really just missing a depth of life. And I, and I got to say something that might be a little bit offensive to some people today. Um, typing in Google doesn't count as study. I know Google's cool and all, but what I find is often when I use it, um, I have to spend a lot of time trying to find credible sources. And by the way, your Facebook newsfeed, also not a place of credible sources. And so here's the reality for us. If we're not careful, we miss opportunity for real study. But here's a couple of things that are helpful for us as we approach study. When we approach study, um, we approach with humility. See, I've got to embrace this one personally, because when I went to college, I thought for sure, after four years of college, I needed to learn nothing else. About three years in, I realized how much I didn't know. And then I went to grad school, and all grad school really taught me was this, I know nothing. (laughs) There's so much out there for all of us to know, that we just can't know that much. And so study requires humility. It also requires us approaching um, the subject as student, not as teacher. To approach a student, not teacher, we don't come in as the expert, we come in willing to listen. And, and the final thing I would say about study that's really helpful is it's not about the accumulation of information. It's about having knowledge. So you can learn a bunch of stuff, but it doesn't mean you know anything. And this is what's hard, hard for us. And so study involves really several areas. We study books and talks, and we study the world around us but we're going to talk specifically about studying of Scripture for a few minutes. And so here's what it looks like for us, that we want to approach Scripture with some level of humility. And Scripture's kind of hard to, to understand it sometimes, because I think for many of us, we'll say things like, go read your Bible. And you're like, oh yeah, and you open up your Bible, and it's like a thousand pages, and you go, well, I just start on page one. Well, not really, because if you're a a follower of Jesus, you're a follower of Christ, and so you probably don't actually start with page one. You start with maybe like the book of John, Wait a minute, I I don't start on page one? It's the first book I've ever read in my life that I don't start on page one. Yeah, it's probably a good way to read that. And you're like, well, I I keep looking here and I don't don't know what this says, right? But see, to understand the scriptures well requires humility. It requires help, actually, and learning to study is part of how we do that. You know, I mentioned my daughter earlier how she always says, I know. Well, here's one of my favorite things I'll hear when people say, or maybe even I've done, I know I've done, We'll read the scriptures and we'll say, well, here's what this says. But yet, what we're trying to say it says isn't at all what it says. Like, one of my favorites for that, and I'm sorry for some of you, I'm going to really bother you after this, but, but Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. And we're like, yeah, 
I love this passage. Except that's not what he's saying. The prophet Jeremiah is writing, if you go read verse 10, it says, after 70 years, and the you in that is like, y'all, I know we live in the north, but it'd be like, y'all don't know that this is not for you. Um, Jeremiah is writing to a particular people, the whole nation of Israel, who is in exile. He's writing this whole nation, he says, hey, after 70 years in exile, you as an entire people, God's going to redeem you. He's going to give you a hope and a future. He's going to restore you. And that's pretty cool if I'm one of those people. And you're like, well, but, but it says that God's got a plan for me. It's not talking about you. That's not what the author, that's not what Jeremiah was intending there. So we begin to see in that, maybe that was actually, I think, a cooler picture. Because if we're going to make some connections from that text, we begin to say, you know what? Um, God redeemed the people there. And I know something happened with Jesus that he created his church and God said he's going to redeem the whole church and redeem the whole world. So in other words, God does have a plan for me, but it's not what I thought it was. It's that God's going to redeem all that's broken in this world. And he's going to use his church to do it. And if I call myself a follower of Jesus, then I'm invited into that same journey. All of a sudden now, that changes how we understand the text. You see, when reading scripture, we read the particular passage in light of the whole. And we read all of Scripture in light of Jesus and his teaching. So in other words, we take the small passage, look at it in the context of the whole thing, and then we go, oh, how do I understand all of that in light of Jesus? Oh, we ask some of the same questions in understanding Scripture that we ask in all things, like who wrote it? Who were they writing it to? What was their intention for the message? You know, what, what do those scriptures say? Um, what does the author actually mean? And then, how do I understand this text in light of Jesus? That becomes a really powerful thing for us. See, sometimes we read scripture and we, we, we want it to be just devotional reading. And so we'll go, what does this mean to me? And we'll ask that question, what's this mean to me? It's not a bad question, um, but there's a better question. What does this text actually mean? And when we come to know that, then we get to go to a better place. You see, we have to know what the scripture is trying to say before we come to the place of saying, this is what it means to me. Because it can't mean something to me that it doesn't actually mean. So sorry, you can't take Jeremiah 29, 11 to be your life verse unless you're going to go into exile and you're going to wait till you're 70 years old. If you're going to do those two things, sure, why not? Go for it. But you probably better bring some people with you. You see, study takes time and effort, and sometimes it's difficult. And so we go back to earlier, the example of the kid taking the lesson. Uh, you don't get to say, ah, this is too hard for me. You get to say, all right, I've got a lifetime to do this. It's possible for me. You see, every week when I, when I give a sermon, every single Sunday, I read four to six commentaries. Every one of those commentaries has been edited by usually at least two dozen editors. So I know that every time I talk to you from a particular text, I feel pretty confident that in church history, that in biblical exegesis and study, that I can say what I'm saying. The other side of this is this, that sometimes even after that study, I don't know what to do with it. I'll even pick up a phone and call a friend and go, hey, do you, do you know what this is try, text is trying to say? And so here's what I'd say to you. Well, how do, how do I go about study then? What does study look like in my life? There's a couple things that might be helpful. One, begin with maybe reading like a large section of scripture together. So maybe read the entire book of Genesis. 
I know I just said don't start there, but maybe start there if you want to read it. Read that whole book. You know, pick another book. Read, read all of Exodus. Or maybe you begin to say, you know what, like, I don't really want to read that much, and I'm definitely not going to sit and read it in one sitting, because reading Genesis in one sitting would be really impressive. Well, then maybe another option for you is to read like one book every day for a month. Like take the book of James, for example, or Ephesians. Or if you go, well, you know, if I'm going to be a Christian and I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, I should probably know what Jesus says. And maybe I'm going to read the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5, 6, and 7 every day for 30 days. What you'll find is over time, you'll begin to understand the text more. That's really what study is. In fact, I'd go so far to say one of the most powerful things of study is when I begin to to listen to other voices outside the scriptures to help me understand the scriptures in greater ways. I said, don't be afraid of some of the classics of the Christian faith, like the Confessions by St. Augustine. Or maybe you'll read The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. Or A Testament of, of Devotion by Thomas Kelly. Or The Journals of John Wesley. Or maybe you'll find yourself reading some newer things like Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis or Renovation of the Heart, or The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. See, these are works that might begin to help us understand the Scriptures more. They're works that we begin to study, and they open up our minds. In fact, I hope what you're going to do after this message today is you're going to go to all the prompts, because we have some helpful things that help us to study more that, frankly, I I didn't think you'd want to listen to today. But, But you might be willing to read them and look and go, oh, well, that's a good way that's helpful for me to read and to study and to learn. And, and a part of study that we didn't talk about that I'd love to spend more time on, but we won't right now, is in learning to study ourselves. Like, why do we do what we do? Why is it that I continue when someone does this? Why, is it, why do I get moody? What are the triggers for me to get moody in life and get kind of cranky and short with people? And so here's my challenge for you today as we're in this spring training series, as we're training for this. Make a plan. Stick to it. Start to study. Start today. Who knows? Maybe you won't throw up in your mouth a little. Instead, maybe you'll find that you begin to live your best life now. That God invites you to a way of living that is greater than you've ever known. And we hope that you'll embrace this idea that studying the scriptures doesn't have to be that hard. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together. That you invite us to be unique people. Even though right now we're scattered and we're not able to gather, there's something unique that connects us together through the person of Jesus. That there's something about study that invites us into a story that is grander than we ever could have imagined, that it invites us back into a world in which we never knew, but we also find that it comes to us in our day as well. And so, Father, will you help us to become all that you have created us to be? And may we find that study helps us draw nearer to you and it brings us to the place where we begin to change the world around us. And so, Father, we pray all this in your Son Jesus' name. Amen.